All right, now, uh, you know, the, the, as, as we affectionately know it, the Project Sputnik that has been around for 10 years now, I think. Yeah. And I think I, think I was going to suggest right at the opening here that, Barton, I think it's time that you consider sponsorships. So what kind of sponsor, what, what would be, let's, let's workshop this. What would be your ideal sponsor? Are we going to go to the uh, delicious, uh, refreshing sugar waters? Maybe go we're gonna furnitures. We want to. I want to go NASCAR with this. <laughs> okay. Think, okay. So multiple. I, yeah. No, I think that would go go well. Um, Red Bull gives you Linux. I don't know. I'm thinking of rewriting that one. How about you know you know those those uh, spray cans with compressed air that you used to clean uh, computers? Maybe one of those. That would be a great brand. Yeah. Yeah. It could be called the uh, you know the spray dust dust spray. Project Project Spray Dust. Yeah, when you were a kid, did you spray those too, and like it would it would turn into ice? No, but uh, thank you. <laughs> that, that's a tip for you that you can use. I will. Well, so uh, I thought we would record a nice episode here because it has been. I don't know if it's to the day because I don't know when exactly we'll release it. It was the twenty ninth of November. Ah, uh, yes. Launch, and so what are we out? What are we out now? So it's a little bit more, a little bit less than two weeks. So it's over ten years old essentially yeah. is is what you have there but why don't why don't you tell people what it is what is it that is over 10 years old now barton so the the actual date is the uh, uh, sorry november 29th is the date that the xps 13 developer edition which back in the day was based on ubuntu 12.04 and was uh based on the obviously the xps 13 that's when it became available in the us and canada on that date. So we had, we had started planning it nine months before, which actually, as I say, it's from, from PowerPoint to launch was about nine months. So it went, it went pretty quickly, uh, for your project. And so that was the actual date that it came out. And as I said, it was, a, it was a laptop targeted at developers and, and, it's, and now, it's in its 12th and it's in its 12th generation too. running, uh, running, uh, canonicals, uh, Ubuntu, if I recall. Right. Can, yeah, can that's the 12 out of four. Right. Yes. And, and is that is that called something like uh, Lucky Lad? What, what's uh, it must have some fun. Oh, man. You know, I don't forget. I forget what that one was. We'll, we'll have to look that I, I saw I saw a hilarious article that it was hilarious because it said uh, it opened up after 10 years. Uh, the Dell developer laptop finally supports like 22.04. And then I went and looked up when 22.04 was released, and it was released in, like, spring of 2022. So this whole, like, after 10 years, it's finally gotten support for this op- is, was, was a little odd. Well, maybe, maybe it was, like, certified support or something. But it was, it was maybe they're using one of these new fancy AI things to uh, write headlines uh, for it. But Exactly. Well, I think what that was is that the way the certification works is so you're working to get the, get the system out. You're, you're enabling it. And it's a long lead time. And sometimes you get lucky with when the long-term support version comes out. Mm. This is where you get unlucky in that we've been working on it. Long-term support comes out in April, which is the 04th number at the end. And we came out, I can't remember exactly what it was. We probably came out a little bit after that. So it looks like, well, geez, the new one is available. Why aren't you doing that? But there's a long lead time to get that. So what we did is we went back and recertified it. And so we got... That actually got quite a bit of news, just the fact that we had now upgraded it so that you can, it'll come straight from the factory with 2204. Once again, the nomenclature is that 22 or the nomenclature is um, 
22 is the year and the 04 is, is the release oh, month. That's and clever. It's, always, it's always April. That's so that's very, how you that's can smart. decode it. So yes. we launched with 2004. So sorry, uh, 2012. Okay. All right. Stop. All right. <laughs> we, <laughs> we launched with 1204. So, yes. Okay. Using that new, the new rubric that I, I taught you, what, what year was that operating system? Did it come out? That would be 2012. Yes. And what month? <laughs> uh, April. Wow. I think, I think my work here is done. You know, it's a fun fact about me. It's only in the last few years that I can kind of quickly tell you March, April, and May by numbers. Those are the most confusing number months for me historically. I think the rest of them I can kind of feel my way around. But sometimes I forget September is in there. What's well, the M's that you get mixed up, right? You say, because they're both M-A, March and May. And so yeah. I always have to stop and pause and, and, and see which one That's is true. the third one, which is the fifth one. And I got to so I got to do well in Japanese because it's all the number. The months are just the numbers. So number one, number two, month. you know, oh, what I mean? yeah. And, and the other thing for me is I feel like March is is after, you know, April. I, I don't know why. And then May is just like that's a mystery month. I don't know why that's there. May and September are these two months in the calendar that I just I I feel like they just pass me by. I don't I don't know what's up with them. Right. Then you get into you get into Roman emperors, right? So August, and then you skip it with September. That's why you're confused. Then you get That's October, true. okay, November, December. Okay, is there just Julius Octavius? All right, I'm missing somebody in there. But anyway, that's the, uh, that's the Roman calendar, I guess. So let me let me bring us back here from the Roman calendar because you yes. know what what have they done for us when it comes to Linux desktops? I mean, I think I would Lately. summarize it. That uh, you know, you this is this is basically a uh, Linux desktop that y'all at uh, y'all at Dell have, and uh, sure, it's targeted at developers because they like Linux desktops. But if you wanted to find a Linux desktop from a major manufacturer that you can just order off the website, this is it. And it's you know, it's nice to have a large, powerful uh, brick of might. I think y'all also have. Uh, I always forget what's the name of the 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 beefier line of of laptops. Precision. The precision. And so, so there's the precision mobile workstations, the precision fixed workstations. Right, right. So both of those. So one thing I should say is that what's the what was different about Project Sputnik wasn't that it was necessarily Linux enabled on a Dell system. It was Linux enabled on a high end Dell system. Exactly. We've been selling. We've been selling Linux on lower end systems, uh, specifically Ubuntu. And so it, it hits a certain market that's looking for more of a value type of a, an offering. And so that worked really well. What was the, what was the very, uh, the part that left people scratching their heads internally was why would you take our top end system and put a free OS on it? Who would buy that? Mm. So that's, that's where it comes in is, is how would you then, because you had, the, the systems that were running it weren't quite as sexy as the XPS 13, which is really good looking and, and continues to stay uh, stay so. Um, so that was that was the difference. And so, how do we get together with Canonical to work with the third party device manufacturers to get all the device drivers written for this high end system? So I, you know, and to add to that, right? So back when 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 you were working on this, uh, 2011, 2012, probably is that that's like I think. This was right at the beginning. Is it right at the beginning? It, it was like kind of midway. No, I, I guess this was a while ago. Like it, at, at the beginning of 
essentially the the big shift of developers going from like ThinkPads as as the uh, the the premier Cadillac of laptops to uh, basically uh, Macs as as the premier Cadillac. That that actually happened before, and that's one of the things. This was a reaction to was exactly people had said, you know what, I don't I don't want to be working with futzing with drivers. This is a pain, and I also would like a a powerful OS. I'm not going to use uh, uh, Windows, and I'm going to go to something that's got a BSD, a Unix type base, a Linux type base, which would be the Mac OS, right? So you've got and, the, the OS plus you've got the fact that it just works, and so maybe you're you're a free software person, but you think, well, I'd rather just have something that works, and I'll uh, I'll turn a blind eye to that. Or there's people who are sort of more less uh, religious about it. So that so that's what happened, and that's what this is one of the things. This was a reaction to. And then and then and then I think the insight, the kind of strategic insight that 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 you and and other people had working on this over the years, or or at the beginning, was basically like, uh, and developers will pay a premium for like a good integrated laptop, right? Like they're not just because they're using uh, like you know Linux on it, and just because they're developers. Doesn't mean they're just going to go for the uh, the cheap, uh, powerful option. They'll actually pay, and and you know this is this is what was confusing, uh, and I guess maybe not so much, but but sometimes confuses people about developers and buying uh, expensive laptops. Is sometimes you buy an expensive laptop, and it actually costs more than buying, so to speak, a cheaper one that would be more powerful, <laughs> right? And so like, wait, like say that it, again. <laughs> Well, you know, you could spend the same amount of money for a fancy laptop. Right. And then you could buy like a much more powerful laptop, but it's not so fancy. Right. Okay. And, right. And so often you're paying for looks, you're paying for. Right. And oftentimes, I mean, I would say many, many developers, I mean, they're humans. They're not some strange creature. They, they like, uh, they like nice things. And so that, th- to your point, right? Like that would, that's the whole deal is like, it's not just, you know, any laptop, just a, a, a workhorse laptop. It's a nice one. And uh, so, like, like, well, and I think that was, you know, that was that was it. As you as you say, they transition over. We're talking about transition over to Macs, and those actually look good. Those weren't the big Soviet-style bricks that people had been using before. And so, with the XPS thirteen, now you've got something that actually is good looking, like a Mac Air or, or better, depending on your aesthetic. But it puts something so when you're going to your conferences, you're not sheepishly looking at your own laptop compared to that's that's as I said, one of these bigger ones. Uh, compared to the the Macs that other people might be using, so that was, and those are pricey. So you know that's that right there is an example of why people that people are willing to pay uh, for high end laptops for uh, develop developers would be uh, willing to pay for that. And now, now like we we're saying, it's been around for over ten years, by which we mean ten years and two weeks to to to. As a publicly available project, but it started nine months before that as a, as an idea, just keeping the timeline straight. And and so like I mean obviously I mean how how would you like what's the kind of like success that it's had? Give it give us a sense of like the like the magnitude of it or like I don't know like obviously it it has been successful otherwise it wouldn't be around. But like what uh, where does it ship to? Like how's that been going? Well, yeah, so the beginning was. First, it was one config, and you were there at the early days, and you remember my original pitch was, let's make this. So this was enabled, as you know, by an innovation fund. You were you were on that fund mm-hmm. um, or on the on the committee, and the idea that I had, let's do the be- Beauty and the Beast uh, lineup. Let's have the 
let's have the uh, XPS 13, but let's also have a precision uh, and let's have multiple configurations. And I think cooler heads prevailed and convinced me that, hey, let's just go out with one configuration, one system. So that's where we started. We picked the, the highest end configuration. But as we've gone, we've we've got multiple configurations. I don't know how many we have now, maybe over probably over 15 for the XPS 13. Um, and as I mentioned before, it's in its 12th generation. So it's it's kept going. We then added the M3800 Precision Workstation. So back in the day, there was just one Precision Mobile Workstation. And the story there is that we didn't have the resources to support another system. And a lot of people wanted it. So if you remember, Jared Dominguez, um, who's actually not even on the, the client side of the house, he was on the server engineering side working on Linux, but was really passionate about this. So he was working on the team. He took an M3800 home and he got uh, Ubuntu up and running. And then when he did that, he then posted a blog to uh, Dell's technical blog platform saying, hey, here's the step-by-step -step instructions to get it running. And people really like that, but they they wanted more. So we did get help from the, the workstation group and that became an official product the next year. That then a few years later, the one product, the one precision mobile workstation was replaced by a, a lineup of four. So those join, join the fold. And then now we've, that's on its seventh generation. And now we've got the fixed workstations as well. So as I say, it goes from one system, one configuration to multiple generations of it, multiple configurations, plus a whole nother different line of, uh, hey, how are you? You want to say hi? Hi. All right. You've gotten now, bigger. Yes. It's always good to have a reason to edit. Bye. Bye. So, yeah, so it's, it's grown in, as I said, generations as well as number of products in the portfolio. Um, and the other thing that's, that's been um, that's a testament to how well it's done is we are now looking to grow it. So as we've, Dell in general is getting, is putting more and more behind developers. So as, as you know, you're, you spent some time here. At one point, that really wasn't a focus of Dell's. It was much more on the operator's side. And as, as DevOps have come up, the company has realized that alongside operations, developers too are very important in this new ecosystem. And so we had 10 years ago, we started with the developer edition. And now we've got in other parts of the of the house, we've got products that are being designed with developers in mind while we're doing this. So that's it's now become a point of design when we're, whether we're talking about servers, solutions, storage um, across the company. That's now uh, a consideration. And we've also founded a uh, just started the developer relations team. So once again, if you're going to have if you're going to provide solutions for developers that they can use, you need to have that input. So we've been hiring developer relations, uh, uh, de developer advocates. From actually from the outside, bringing them in, and they're as developer advocates do. They work between the company and the developers, representing the developers' needs back to the company, so that those needs are are encapsulated in products, and that developers get what what they need, and we can better serve our uh, our customers. In this case, being the being the community. So, as I said, this is 
the whole thing is growing. The portfolio portfolio is growing. Um, you know, I think in the very beginning, the idea that I pitched was reason why we're doing this is not to make money. We don't want to lose money, but that's not the point. The point is to change views of Dell, particularly with developers and have them look at, at what we're doing and saying, hey, Dell kind of gets it, uh, given the influence of developers. And so that's what we've done. And we've we really have had, um, we have uh, we have gotten a group of, of folks that are have become very passionate about the uh, developer edition, uh, and in that respect, it, it has become it has become a hit, and, and we continue to grow it. So, you, so you have the, this ten year time span of like, uh, you know, up to up to your saying, like where where now uh, we have like a a actually like. Mm, we're, we're doing a lot more about like developers and, and like, so how, like, like thinking through that 10 years, like, what did it take to get to that point? Like, uh, you know, like, cause, cause when I was there back from 2010 to 2011, I mean, as you were saying, there was this kind of interest in developers, but it didn't seem to like, uh, aside from the Sputnik thing, like materialize in, in, into much, like it was always a little like, uh, I don't know. There was there was some lack of connection between the two. Like everyone, you know, values developers. But fair, fair statement. I, I think. I mean, I think over that ten years, there's been more of. Uh, I mean, like what what what's it been like? Like the process of sort of like coming around to like, here's not only are developers like you know important, but here's our understanding of what they do and how it links to what it is we do as as a uh, organization. And then equally importantly. Like the thing that that is difficult to figure out for like a non-application developer organization is like, well, here's what we can do that they find helpful, <laughs> right? Like, like having having uh, as we kind of discussed, having uh, a factory shippable like high-end Linux laptop is helpful for developers because they will tell you they want that. <laughs> but but beyond that, like how, how did you how do you find out how else you can be helpful to developers to the extent that now you have budget and a team of people and all this stuff, you know, 10 years later? Well, so I think if to the first part of it, how did it how did it start gaining um, traction within the company? It came in the within the package of DevOps, right? So as DevOps rose, you've got developers, you've got operations, operations we knew and have been focusing on. We realized that it's not just that's the two together. So we need to start when we look at our portfolio of products, we need to look at how we make those products um, appealing to developers. So as you say, one of the ways that um, you do it is, is by getting developer advocates who go and start talking with, with people. The other thing is you become part of the, the, the open source community. And so right now, has been happening for a while, you don't have just hardware by itself. Software is a huge component of it. Say, for example, in the, in the case of storage, Kubernetes itself doesn't come with uh, hooks into storage. And so you need to make those yourself. And so what there's things called, there's CSI and there's uh, CSM. So CSI are container storage interfaces, and that allows you to connect storage. I'm oversimplifying this, but connect storage to Kubernetes, and then CSM are additional modules you can put around your storage that uh, that 
that offer offer uh, increased functionality. So that's just an example of as we go forward, you really need to be looking at developers, looking at what types of software offerings need to be attached to really work in a modern ecosystem. You, it, they're not standalone. So that huh. it's, it's through the it's through DevOps, and then as we look forward, as I said, it's there really isn't an option, hasn't been for a little while, where you can ignore developers. You need to be thinking about what can you put together that supports operations, but also supports developers and how they might be using the product. And maybe say in the case of Kubernetes, it's not directly they who will be working with it, but they will be the, well, they're the ones who are going to be using it. The they're beneficiaries be of it. Standing it up. And so you you have to look at it and say, what are, the, what are their needs going to be? Now, right. now th- this this is a since you have uh, uh, direct experience with both of these things. So, from what you were saying, right? Like, like th- we could derive a theory here, which is that like the uh, uh, the interest in Kubernetes has become so great that it caught that you need to like um, change the way some infrastructure software works. Like you were saying, your storage. <clears throat> I don't know about this stuff myself, but you know, your storage uh, drivers and integration and things like that, right? And, and of course, Dell has like um, compute and networking and storage, right? So like the, the fundamentals that you need to run anything and all the, um, the stuff that connects it all together. So if you have Kubernetes come along, uh, basically you need to ensure that like those three things work with Kubernetes in an easy way that you can run Kubernetes on top of it. And then that implies, as, as I think we've seen, that you know uh, developers will be running their applications on top of it, and they might be invo- involved in driving uh, like selection of hardware based on its compatibility with Kubernetes. Or, you know, it would just be nice if it works well, <laughs> even, even if the selection isn't driven by it. Now, what, how would you compare that? Did that same... Was that same thing happening with like OpenStack? Because that that se- that was like a similar thing where it's like if we're all going to be running OpenStack, which certainly in two thousand nine and two thousand ten seemed like the thing, it's going to take over. Then it would have the same effect of driving like we need this compatibility with OpenStack, and 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 everything should work with it. So now I'm, I'm trying to cast my memory back to that because I do remember we actually was at the the initial pre public. Um, meeting where we it was Dell, Rackspace, and and NASA. Um, and of course, now it's um, OpenStack is focused on the telecom area and it's doing really well in that area. Um, I think that the, the things are a bit different. I haven't really thought about how, how you might compare them. I and mean, they too had projects within projects, um, say like Cinder for the storage part, et cetera. Um, but this is a bit different in that it is plugging into the broader ecosystem where OpenStack, and this is, if my memory serves me well, is that OpenStack was, I won't say a component, it was a big component, but it would be more, it would be part of a system, mm. uh, how it would fit in there as opposed to um, how do we make our all of our different components part of a bigger solution. Yeah. Well, well, maybe you know, uh, the, you know, you're helping me uh, flesh out a theory that I'm that I, I I'm always thinking of, or I was thinking a lot about recently, which is, 
let's see. Because OpenStack basically would run VMs, if, if I remember. It didn't really like run containers so much. It was just VMs it would run, which is fine. Uh, but maybe whenever the application architecture changes, that leaks all the way down to like the infrastructure needing to change. And so the thing with, the thing with OpenStack is it's still basically running in VMs and you don't necessarily have to change your application architecture too much. Like storage is a little different and things like that, but you could run applications on OpenStack that you could just run on like virtualized infrastructure, like I think. Whereas if you look at like the way that uh, containerized applications, which nowadays is mostly means uh, Kubernetes, like that, and you know you can you don't have to change the the architecture of your application, but more than likely, because it's container based, you're going to change the way your application is architected, which I think means then you have to go through and and uh, the this this intermixing of the developer or the people right below the developers, the platform teams, building out stuff that developers use. They seem to be a lot more involved in like like I don't know. It seems to drive a lot more change in the infrastructure space. They had need different which tools is this, and different types which of software. Drives more change. Oh, just when you like if you change the the application architecture around, like it kind of leaks down, it drips down the stack, and so the infrastructure at the bottom needs to change a lot more. Whereas like if you're just doing the same application architectures, you don't really need to change how the infrastructure works. I don't know. I got to work on that theory, Barton. It's not very well, good. I think I, I, um, it's a bit uh, apples and oranges. That's what I was trying to explain before, but I don't know if I'm doing a good job. But if we think it broadest brush, brush strokes, I think you would talk about OpenStack as a platform, yes. right? Sort of more analogous to a Tanzu or an OpenShift. So it is a component of the broader landscape. What, as you talk about that application architecture coming together, you need to have a platform that represents new architectures. And I think while OpenStack did end up uh, taking on some of the, the containers and talking uh, and bringing uh, Kubernetes support, I think it was, it was being sort of re-architected for that. Whereas, well, I was gonna say OpenShift itself was re-architected, but it was done early enough that it, they almost reinvented it to take advantage of and to make the, the Kubernetes um, support and the container support um, there from the beginning. Cause they had, they had gone their own way and had their own types of containers to begin with. Um, so I think as we look at the, at the landscape now, you have platforms, like we said, examples being Tanzu being OpenShift, that's part of the overall environment that we need to plug in and to help support and so with that, you have things, like I said, in the case of storage, you have these connectors that you need to write just because Kubernetes doesn't come with them. You write them and then we, they're open source. So you, we have them in, in GitHub repos for others to take. Um, and then you have the additional modules along it. So we're, it's how do we plug what we have into a bigger solution? And then another thing that, that we are focusing on is how do we take our customer base which a lot are starting to get into um, DevOps or maybe are halfway through it. How do we help them then along the way to better understand it, to better take a step back and figure out how you want to architect this as a whole, these new concepts? Because for the beginning, uh, for most of our customer base, it has been the sysadmins, 
And those are the people who now have to reinvent themselves as platform engineers, infrastructure developers, the names, different people use different names and they need a whole new skill set. So that's another part that we're working on is how do we help those people reinvent themselves? And by definitions, they are a success if they help application developers uh, become a success. So if they make the application developers heroes, then they are then they themselves have succeeded. And so you, they may, we may be working right now with, uh, in certain cases, with the ops side of the house. But by definition, we are making things that have to be consumed in the end by developers. And then there's more direct ways that we work with developers, like the, as I said, like the XPS 13 developer edition, which is something that's actually used. Well, it's used by operations as well, but developers to to work with. And so um, sometimes it's more direct, and sometimes it's. Uh, it's sort of like when I worked at Johnson and Johnson and we sold oral care, uh, mm. tooth, toothpaste and toothbrushes. You're selling to the consumer, but really you're selling into Target or Walmart. So you have to think of when you're designing your your products, you're thinking of the end customers, but you're not selling to them. You're selling to the to the big box stores. Does that your, par- that your partners? No, that, that yeah. of, of course. Now, now. That that does so in guess- this model the the, um, the operations folks are the targets and the WalMarts, um, and, and you're you're the toothbrush. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, we, that's well, kind of. We build toothbrushes, but the ultimate people would be those who brush their teeth. Okay, so the teeth are the customers. In in a way, yes. Teeth are like containers. I think they they contain uh, roots. They contain enamel. Yes, enamel. Well, so so that that kind of raises something I, I I was also curious about is I remember a little bit about this like I was I was only there a little bit of the time when this finally started shift, shipping, but like what are some of the over the last ten years some of the discoveries about like if you want to sell if you want to manufacture and maintain and sell and support a laptop globally there must be all sorts of exciting little things you discover that you need to do that that people don't think about. Right. Like like as, you're specifically on the developer, because we, yeah, yeah, we yeah. have the XPS 13 that comes with with Windows, obviously. Yes. And then we have the one with with Ubuntu, the developer one. And well, and, and you know, I mean, it, it's kind of like like a, like a, a laptop in general. But because you are, you know, like because you've been adding uh, because of you added a new type of thing. Right. Like you, I assume, got to re-experience all of that over again. Right. Like adding a new product line to it and like. You know, things are, you know, you, you hit a few hiccups and things that, that need to happen. Like, this is not a direct example, but I remember uh, we went to a meeting once uh, about, about this laptop. And there was just a room full of people. They all seemed delightful. It was often a much nicer building than we worked in. And I remember we were waiting for our turn to talk. And, but before that, there was like a 15-minute discussion about which stickers were going to be on the palm rest. Oh, gosh. I do. I very much do remember yeah. that meeting. And, right. and, and, meeting and yeah, and, and it, was, it was like this delightful discovery of like, oh, well, of course, there's lots of meetings about which stickers go where, right? And it was a very, it wasn't just motivated by, you know, what a cynical person would think, like payment and stuff like that. It was kind of like, well, you know, the size of this sticker next to this one, and you got to do this. It was like this very thought out and, and occasionally kind of uh, strongly debated uh, discussion about the stickers to have on the palm rest. Right. So, and I remember another instance, right? Like, uh, I don't know, you got to make sure that you have a skew or something like there's all this stuff that you have to do, which I think is useful background for people who like, you know, 
uh, are just like, I don't know, just put Linux on it and ship it, right? Like, what's the big deal? Yeah. But but like, there's all, especially as you sell globally, there's like all these things that come up that are like, you would never realize, but it's kind of fascinating to hear what those things are. Yeah, I think there's there's two parts to the project is there's the the be nimble, uh, agile, be a, a, a tiger team, which uh, and the, another example I give is when, in the early days when I worked with Namdi, who is who is Michael Dell's chief of staff and the, the executive sponsor for this. When I'd have product check ins, I would take a, a piece of uh, just regular white eight by ten sheet of paper and I would just sketch out. Here's the issues. Here's where we need help. This is the status. Um, and, and he really enjoyed those. So we would go through that as opposed to going through a long PowerPoint with numbers, et cetera. So mm. that's an example where you can be agile. Where you can't be agile is where on the side of the part that, that you're talking about is, I'll say you can't be agile, but you have to follow processes. So you need to, to be a success. You have to plug into the Dell machine because that's really where you get all your oomph from, right? So we're not going to, Sputnik was not going to go ahead and make our own website, uh, our own product numbers, et cetera. So we have to go to say the meetings that you're talking about. And if we have something special that we want to, to get um, permission for or acceptance of, then you, you make your, make your case and, and um, it gets approved or not. But as you say, you need to put it on a website and to do that, you need order numbers. You need the back backend, uh, process because you need to fulfill those orders you need to have available in different countries so you need to have different keyboards for it um, and you need to need to be able to support it uh, in the case of of Ubuntu obviously there's the drivers and that was the main thing that we were we were doing but in actually getting a product out and getting it available for sale on that day there's tons of teams that you work with as I said, the, our team was a scrappy small one, but the other the other folks were there and were part of bigger teams, part of the general infrastructure that Dell needs or or any large company needs to get a product out and to the consumers. So, yeah, no, and and you know, I I it's it's good, especially since it's sort of like a developer centric thing, right? Like like most software developers don't spend time thinking about. Uh, building and shipping physical things right and let alone intricate physical things uh like computers so there there's there's a lot that uh, that goes into it now now over over the 10 years like does it uh does it like get easier because now you become normal <laughs> like yeah. like part of part of the regular process i would i would say definitely i think um i'm just writing the the blog um for the 10th anniversary and, and all these memories and nightmares come back. Um, as I said, like the first few years, I, I slept with one eye open because what would happen is somebody new would hear about it, some director and would say, why are we wasting this, uh, our resources on this? It's a niche, niche market. Might as well be selling to orthodontists if that's the, if we want to go after niche markets. Um, and then they would, they would look to pull resources. Um, and, you know, we, we made it through that period uh, and then there was actually a period at sort of the three-year mark where it wasn't Sputnik specifically, but Dell was looking at rationalizing the product, so putting money behind a, a fewer number of, of uh, configurations. And it looked like 
Dell would, I'm uh, sorry, the, the Sputnik, the developer editions would get caught up in this and we wouldn't make it. And so, you know, I thought at that point, I thought, well, you know what, three years, we've made it. We've done a pretty good job. Let's pat ourselves on the back and, and, and call it a day. And for some reason, I do not know why uh, we survived that cut. And so from there, it, it gets easier and easier. I think the other thing too, is you build up a community and that helps you to keep going because you've got these folks who are enthusiastic, who are giving you input into the, into the product. It helps you to get uh, word of mouth, of course, is huge. And so you start building up a bigger and bigger community that helps to support you. People understand you start making more money. As I said, it wasn't the goal wasn't to make money, but we're actually making a lot of money, which is which is a good thing. Um, and so I think that that's the, the community. In fact, if you if you cast your mind back to that initial meeting when I pitched the idea, I remember Matt Baker, who's now our head of strategy for all of Dell Technologies. When I pitched the idea, said, well, what's what is what stops one of our competitors from doing the same thing, right? What, how, they could just go and write drivers for open source or get their device driver manufacturers to write open source drivers. And I said, really, there isn't, but it's, it's about building the community behind it to support it. And so I think that's that has been a huge part. And mm-hmm. so we are now at a place. The other thing that's that's helping to support it is, as I said, this, this movement of the company in general to realize the value of, developers within the modern uh, modern IT environment. And so we are starting to put money around it. And this is now seen as a, uh, a great component that we've already started working with and looking then to integrate into our, our bigger offerings. So for example, um, you can run microcates on it. Microcates being Canonical's version of their small mini Kubernetes distro that you can run on your laptop to develop on and then and then push to the cloud. So things like that, that that connect the two together. And we're also looking now with this new emphasis of what can we do on the client side of the house to expand this? So we're looking, at this point, we're, we're uh, at, in brainstorming phase on our side. So anything is, is up for debate. So do we go into new, mar- new developer markets? Do we pull in new peripherals? Do we look at other Dell systems that we could developerize. Um, and as I said, we're in, we're in the brainstorming phase, but just like Project Sputnik itself, we would like to come out when we get things a little bit clearer and come out to the community and say, hey, this is some of the things we're thinking about. Which of these do you think would be most interesting to you? And what what would be the way that, that what would we need to do to these to actually give you the most benefit? Because I think that's one thing when you're talking about Linux or open source, it's really important that you give the developers, give the community a voice into this. Um, so I think that's, that is, all of this is starting that momentum to keep us going that keeps growing going forward. So it has gotten easier, thank goodness. Well, you know, I, I just, maybe here's a buzzword compliant thing you can pursue. Maybe what you should look into is you want to you wanna have some digital twins for potential data centers that run on Dell, right? So you put you put digital twins that run on your uh, your developer laptops here, so that your developers and your platform developers can simulate 
what, what a data center would look like where they run stuff. Then you can say, you know, you got that slide that says digital twins, which I think. No, I, I like that. I, I think that's the type of thing, in, you know, we're looking at when you talk about on the precision side, the workstation side. In fact, we've got um, ones that are tar targeted data science as part of the portfolio, uh, AI, ML. And so that would be where you could be looking at at your digital twins. Now that's the kind of thing like like if if I if there's a picture on the slide there's going to be like binary on my face, right? And I'm going to be reaching out and kind of like turning a sphere or something, right? Is that how you know, digital like twin AR works? Are you talking about? I I'm not sure. I like clip well, the other thing with digital well, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to get too much into it cuz I'm going to get I'm going to get confused. So, we'll just we'll just say, well if you don't know then I'm not going to tell you. That's right. They always you come obviously and they, don't get it. And I'm not I don't want to waste my time explaining it. To I you. mean, I think the big question is like, well, what if you have you've got reality and a simulation? There's your digital twin. Right. But what if you have multiple si uh, simu uh, simulations? Is that a twin? Like because a twin implies that then you got a digital quadruplet. Like I think it. So I think I think whoever came up with that notion needs to uh, maybe work on that. And, yeah, uh, I mean, and they see. tell two friends and they tell two friends and all of a sudden you've got a patchwork of multiple identical uh, factories or, or whatever it might be. I actually, I actually used uh, a little video of that recently in a presentation. They, I told Which two one friends, you know, the, I think it's Perel. I forget the name of the, the shampoo. But, but, see how uh, well it worked? But yeah, no, I think that's, a, that is a classic that, that people will remember. And then it keeps. Yeah, I think I was talking uh, to a young. The technology to create one of those back then probably wasn't, uh, was probably pretty top of the line. <laughs> oh yeah. It, it was... Now you could do it on any XPS 13 yeah. developer edition. Now, now the one is, so you were you were a little while ago, like you were making me think of so you have the ten year time span to return to our theme, right? And like, I feel like there have probably been several stages of let's call it uh, the answer to why are we doing this, <laughs> right? And like, and I think as far as like doing kind of like internal innovation, right? Because uh, you know this is something that that that. Was, that was done inside of Dell as a new product, not like acquired and not just sort of like copying other stuff or just doing industry standard stuff. And so it wasn't part of a new product introduction. Right, path. right, right. And, and so it just kind of came like, so at the beginning, like to start you off, you know, you just have sort of like, well, this is like part of a program to do new projects, right? And then after that, there was basically just a lot of showing up and convincing people and like lining up like uh, various people to like be behind it to support it. And then, like you said, there's like a three year mark where like it could or could not go away. And now it seems like now, like you don't really have to like uh, prove it, that it should exist. Like it's just it's you fine. You have to prove it less. I think, you know, with in any large company, you're always battling for resources, even ones that have come along on the official path. Um, and I think the, I do a talk, I've given it on five lessons learned on driving innovation in a large company. And one of them is get a champion, be a champion. So back in the, when we started out, Namdi, who was, as I said, Michael Dell's chief of staff was the person at the high level who was talking if things needed to happen between high-level people to get support, but that didn't always trickle down. And so you had to be in there selling, constantly selling the idea of getting people enthused about this, explaining why this is important and getting them on board. Um, 
and this was the team itself was pretty small and it, we use a lot of um, people. We borrow a lot of folks. And then you have to get, as I say, with the, with the larger Dell machine, you need to get people excited about this and, and willing to take that part through the normal process. So it's, it's constant selling as definitely not as much now as it was before, but for all projects, you're, you're trying to, to keep getting resources for it and to uh, take it bigger if you can. So, so see, there, there's an interesting little uh, insight is that the, let, let, let's say you need to have, let's call it um, a lowercase T-shaped uh, sort of like uh, plan of championing. <laughs> right like With lower so, t shape you, you got well, a, a lowercase t right so you have you might you might have like an executive level right mm-hmm. like your your executive champion and they're trying to convince their peers right so that's the top of the t right <clears throat> and then of course that champion also needs to uh um like motivate their bosses so they go up like that little short part of the t right but then i think i think the part that is most difficult is that like even if all that executive layer is aligned you've got to like and it's not like a intentionally pejorative it's just the way letters work you've got to go like down into the organization and like talk like way below to all these different groups and kind of like explore and figure out what's going on there because it's like even though you might have a mandate to like innovate and do new things you need the whole organization to be behind it and supporting it because it's always easy, as you were kind of uh, pointing out, it's always easy to find a reason not to do something. People are very, in an organization, optimized to argue why they should Well, do I mean, something. oftentimes people have, say, four things they need to do. Exactly. But they're asked to do a fifth one, and then you come in and say, here's number six, please. Um, and so it's you don't want to just say, well, it's, you know, they just don't want to play. It's It's... Sure, They've sure, got right, a lot right, on their right, plate right. as well, and you right, need to right. convince them that you know what this one's actually kind of important. It's going to be fo- more fun than that other thing. So right, and so, so exa- that that's the optimistic Barton way to put it, which I think is yes. great. But so so see there there is like I'm I'm curious like over time. So at the beginning, you have basically most of your success, and maybe I'm speaking broadly here, but it feels like most of the success you have with like a skunk works thing or whatever you want to call it, an internal innovation thing is really based on having a pretty high level executive supporting you, right? And then also, whether it's that person doing it or the team of people or an individual doing it, just going to all these different groups that are involved and need to support it. And basically, more or less starting from zero each time, convincing those groups that they should be excited about this and take the extra effort to do it or prioritize things appropriately. Right. And, and I think that's the, the real uh, so the challenging part is to every time get up there and meet a new group that hasn't heard of this. And it's something that's not necessarily something that they think about or, from, or are familiar with, familiar with. You have to be selling it. And so, as I said, you got to get a champion, be a champion. And if you don't mind me using a war analogy, it's sort of the air war and the uh, so the. Uh, the ground war and the air cover, right? So the other person is coming in, the executive with the uh, with the air cover, but that's not going to win the war by itself. You also have to be there on the ground, and, and same is true. And so also with you, with you working at the executive level, you get 
those people nod their head and say, yes, my people will, will help work on this. The signal kind of gets lost. So if you think of the ocean, right, up top, there's a lot of light. And as it gets down, it gets darker and darker and darker. And that signal gets lost. So you got to be down there at the bottom with the fish with their, you know, the light bulbs on their heads and things like that. Uh-huh, the anglers. And you, you got to be helping there. So there really is sort of a, a both levels and, and one is not going to survive with, without the other. So, so then how does that, how does that like change over time? Like at the, 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 the midpoint, like the four or five year point, like, are you, is it still like exactly the same or is it less of that? Are there new types of things you have to do to basically keep the project alive and thriving? Like what is the, what, what, what is it like gardening in the middle, the, you know, the midpoint? I think one of the things that, you know, we talked about, you know, what has helped it survive and it goes back to that original goal, which is let's help to change um, uh, what you call it, uh, perspectives and how people view Dell. It's about the coverage that we get. And so we get a lot of, we get a lot of great coverage and more importantly, coverage in publications or areas that we wouldn't normally get in Dell. And so that is a, that's a good way that you can point to, Hey, we're in these, these publications that, we previously would not have have been written about in, um, and this would be picked up as an innovation story. And it's always good for companies to say, "Hey, we're not just producing great products, but we're also innovating to keep new products coming up and mm-hmm. to stay current." Uh, so those those kinds of proof points have also helped quite a bit. So the more you get of uh, get those under your belt, as I say, revenue is great, and that's. That has been growing, but at the same time, being able to point to here's all the the articles that have been published, and so there's there's a, you know the executives will get the, a daily roundup of you know, here's some top articles written about Dell, and so if you get a few in there, it keeps it keeps it top of mind. That so okay, so that's interesting. So to 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 summarize, at the beginning, you're basically just going like you know group to group. To, to, to launch things and keep it alive for a while, right? And then eventually, like, like it's s- self-sustaining in that you're not just losing a ton of money, <laughs> right? Like, like I mean, it actually... We never lost, lost a ton of right, money, right, right. No, surprise, or actually no, and surprise, but... That's also a nice thing about hardware is it's, it's pretty, pretty quick to figure out if you're going to make money or not, right? I don't really know anything about the hardware business, but the well, point being... Say. The point being that it, it's like an okay to healthy business, right? And then to your point, like like as you're saying, like three or four years later, just like as as things way out of your control happen, like what becomes important then is that there is not only visibility about the project, right? That it, like people know about it, like they would know the name of it and maybe even like be able to tell you why it exists. But then that you have this sort of ongoing proof or validation that in the case of this, like we're not just selling another type of laptop, right? But we are reaching a new type of audience or person or customer or area that we just like wouldn't be able to reach otherwise. So now uh, people know about this thing. It, uh, it isn't just some weird speculative thing that's annoying. It's kind of part of the system. But not only that, like it has something unique about it. Like it gives us a unique strategic position that if we didn't have this thing, we wouldn't have that strategic position, right? Right. And- but I think you you constantly have to sell it because unlike, a, say, a PowerEdge generation, whatever we're in at the time, 
that is part of the, the overall portfolio and you don't need to remind people that that's there. Something like a developer edition, you really need to keep mm. the drumbeat up and keep feeding the articles, keep talking about it. So you, you constantly have to be selling. It's, it's easier because the people closest to it, closest to it now do support it, but you want to keep that visibility up, not just externally, but internally as, as, as well. And that's, that's really important. I mean, it's like some, some actor who's a big deal, but all of a sudden you haven't seen him or her in any movies and you think, well, whatever happened to them? And yeah, maybe they're, they're doing things and they're on Broadway, but you didn't know that. Or now they're producing great movies, but so you have to keep that, keep that going. So as, as, as you keep bringing me back to, maybe this is another, another statement about this internal innovation thing is that you will always need to be advocating for it and, and internally marketing for it. Like that probably will never go away. And so you always, and, and, and because you know that you'll always need to be doing that, that should be part of your like strategic planning. Right. So not only are we, are we planning like what features should we have in here? Like, how could we run this better as far as a business process? But part of the strategic planning, at least annually, if not like more, is probably like, all right. And we need to have we need to improve and build on the stories that we have that we only use internally that shows people why this is valuable and convinces them that it should, you know, not only stay alive, but get more attention. Right. And like, yeah. And, and ours wasn't so it, it hadn't been so, um, what shall I say, uh, process included. I don't know the, what the right word, but it was just it was sort of scrambling and just realizing we had to keep this up um, and and keep it going. And, and it just gets back to the fact that you can do well externally, but if you don't keep things top of mind internally, people forget about it and then you start losing resources. And so that's back to the you got to keep keep up the the uh, the messaging internally. Like I said, unless you're unless you're power edge line um, storage lines, it's it's going to be something that you really need to keep going. Now, it's also less investment. So it's not as you're not quite as a, um, you're not taking up so much resources that people would question as much as they would once you get to a certain level. But constantly showing its benefit is ensure survival right. to the best that, that anything is ever uh, survives forever. So, so, so then, you're- so then you're, you're like, let, let's 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 uh, let's finish the uh, the thing here. You're at you, so we had the beginning, at the midpoint, and then you have like the the ten years later point, right? So, what are, what are different things about how you like keep that innovation alive? when it's like now a decade old, like I assume you still need to do a lot of internal marketing and advocating as you were just saying, right? So that always stays there. But like, what are, what, what are different things as far as like taking care of it and, and making sure that, that, that the, I mean, I, you know, to call it a project is a little funny, right? Cause it's not really a project anymore. Right. But it sounds quaint. So no, it's and, and in reality, we need, we do need to start talking about as our developer portfolio. It is not a, it's not a project that makes it sounds as if it's something that that's not quite baked or, or may go away. Uh, I think actually it has gone on rails for a little while now, meaning in a good way. And I'm not talking Ruby, but it's a, I've stepped away to work on the developer strategy. And then now am Dell's community manager overall. 
And so it has continued to work. We have we had built up a, a big enough foundation with community support that that um, that it has continued on without me having to champion it at every step. Now where we're at is, as I said, this greater recognition of the importance of developers within the context of DevOps makes us realize that, hey, let's take that project portfolio, as, as we're now saying, and let us connect that with our bigger, uh, into bigger um, initiatives that we're working on so that it's not just a great point product, but it's it's part of a bigger solution and part of our overall message when we come to to customers and say, hey, we can we can support you in your DevOps needs. We can support your developers. We can support your operations. And here's the overall uh, um, set of offerings that we have and skills. And I think, as I mentioned, we're now looking to revitalize, not revitalize, I should say, extend it even further. And that's why we're doing the brainstorming and thinking, hey, we've got a good thing here, but it could it could do so much more if we were to add a little bit here, a little bit there. So let's think of some things that we might uh, want to include in it. And then that helps the the overall business. And I think one of the things you have at big companies often is you have groups that think more about how they work within themselves, but maybe not within across to another group. And the more that you can, you can look at it as one company and systems and solutions come from all different parts, the better off you'll be. And I think that's, that's in this case, that's one of the things that, that we're doing. Uh, and we've, we've looked for ways in the past to connect that with the, with the big backend systems. And we've had uh, some success, but I think this is now, as I said, becoming re-energized or not re-energized, but in, um, taking further as part of this overall movement to better serve customers uh, on their DevOps journey. So, so here's here's uh, let me let me suggest maybe names for these three stages here because you know you know me I love to develop a model or or a system around things, and so a first, the, ooh, I, a framework? I, I I think I went to school with a, a with lexicon a, a rubric, yeah that's right and and so I think. I think the first one is just the survive phase. Like you, you have an idea and of course there's the bootstrap phase, but you just like, once you get it off the ground, you just got to like survive and like keep, keep people caring about it and alive. And, and that involves obviously a lot of, uh, this is where my, my, my do my failed lowercase T analogy comes in. Yeah. I, that didn't work for me. I was <laughs> trying to picture it and I got uh, confused. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take that one back to the workshop and, uh, and figure it out. I would call that the ever vigilant sleep with one eye open, keep championing until you can't champion no more stage where oh. it's, you're, you know, the, you're spinning the plates and you're doing it by hand. They're not, there's not like a motor to spin them. Uh, I think, I think we're going to need a big sheet of paper for that, for that phrase. It might not fit. On yeah, the slide exactly. Title. Uh, and then in the middle, you have kind of like this sustained part of the life cycle, which is like you reach a certain amount of like whatever the strategic value is, revenue or, or you know, revenue and, and, and profit or whatever. And it's sort of like people are like, oh, yeah, this is a real business. And, you know, we've been doing it for several years, so let's just keep doing it. And then it seems like there you have two major concerns. One is like you want to just grow it more. So you always want more revenue to, to get bigger. And then two, it's not so much that you've got to like be scrappy and like uh, survive, but you have to make sure that people are aware that the, pro the, the project, the thing is mm -hmm. good <laughs> and important, right? Like kind of like don't let people forget about it. 
and at, at the main time that you're growing it. And then the last part you were talking about is almost like you've become institutionalized. Like you're just part of the system. Uh, and then at that point, I mean, I, I don't know if, if, if we can generalize from what you were saying about how, you know, you would like to do the following at any phase of, of the life, but you, you then should fit pretty obviously into large organization strategies, right? Like mm -hmm. you should be, and that's, that's what it is to be institutionalized is that like, we have like three big strategies that we're doing and this thing is one of, you know, fits very strongly into one of those three strategies, right? Like, like for someone like Dell, you know, laptops are institutionalized. I'm, you know, I don't know, maybe there is, but I would bet there's not a meeting every year to justify the existence of the laptop category, right? Not it's probably, so much. Yeah, no. it's probably like, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to be doing that next year, right? Yes. And like, that's the ultimate institutionalization is that the laptop category just like is not going to go away, right? It is, right. But I think within that portfolio, you're always looking at where should we be going to better serve the customers? Which ones? We, right. We've got a limited number of resources, want to best serve our, our customers, Maybe this line at this point now doesn't make as much sense if, as opposed to if we put more uh, resources behind this uh, this line because that's where the where the market's going, where people are are looking for for more support. And so, I think everything is always subject to change, um, and nothing is ever completely safe. But at the same time, some products are are safer than others. Um, big product lines, but it's even when you get going, there's always that chance. You're not, it's not so much a, a random out of the blues, one person or one group will torpedo it, but it could be, Hey, we're now going to be putting more resources here. So we'll, we'll wind this down. Right. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and also just like you're saying there, there could be uh, not resource allocations, like resource priority changes. But I think, you know, th thinking about it more with you, right? Like I think it's, once once you are more institutionalized, it's almost like an internal job that people maybe don't appreciate very much is that you now need to think about how your product can help the high-level strategy of the company as a whole, not just help itself, so to speak, right? Or even just help its 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 market. So like, I mean, I don't know if this is the case, but to draw out my uh, my rambling here, like if you have if you have the developer laptop, like for the first, you know, through the sustaining part of its life, it's just sort of like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, it's just like serving itself. <laughs> like it's serving itself and its customers. But at some, once you become institutionalized, then one of your top priorities becomes like, well, how does this help the company as a whole achieve what it wants to achieve? Not just it what- It becomes what, part of a, a bigger solution, right? So even though- right. It, it You can say it aligns with this value of innovation or it, it aligns to the- to some part of the of the company's larger framework, but the, how does it not just align with it at one point, but becomes part of this broader solution? So if you think of it, of uh, and if I get if I remember my geometry right, so you get, you get in the beginning you're scrambling to keep it alive, your plate spinning, and then you get to a slope of one, right, where it's just sort of going and it's going up, and that's good. But how do you, to take it from a slope of one to and I can't remember which would be which number would be bigger than the other, but to take it and start having it go up, then you really do need it part of a bigger solution um, because that gives you more resources. It gives you more 
whether that's people selling it, whether it's explaining it to customers, whether it's making uh, customers of the community available, sorry, um, aware of it, all of that helps to take it and, and to grow it. Mm. Yep. All right. Well, here's what, here's what I'm going to do uh, in the show notes, Barton. A couple of things. Tell one, me. I found, I think, maybe one of the first videos you made about this. I think we might have been, this might have even been in Portland when we were at some open source conference. I, I forget, but it says 10 years ago. We, yeah, we announced it at um, OSCON. When we said, well, we didn't announce it. We announced that we were going, we said, okay, this is now going to be a real project. We've got enough I think, you know, I think that's like the only O'Reilly conference I ever spoke at. They never, uh, really? they never accepted. What were you speaking about? Well, you and I had like some panel about innovation or something. Like we're uh, on the cube, I think. No, no, we had a talk. We definitely. I, mean, I should go okay. look that up. But, anyways, and then I found another video that we didn't talk about this part. There isn't time for it. But, but I think I was responsible for this part. I had this idea that we should have these profiles, <laughs> like pre-configured things that would run on there, and we spent a lot of time on that. And uh, I, I had a video with my friend Charles, who was working on that. We're in front of a whiteboard. I'll have to put that there as well. So you can see like there's uh, there's something that that thankfully was uh, cut out very early on. Major distraction. But it goes well, to, yeah, your, I mean, I think your, your to that. I saw that you sent that over and, and there were two things that we thought would be big value ads on top of just having a laptop that worked running uh, Ubuntu. One was the cloud launcher, which was uh, Mark Shuttleworth's idea saying, hey, it's great to stand alone, but what you're going to get value from is if you can develop in micro clouds on your laptop and using Lexi and push it up to the to the clouds. So that will be the cloud launcher. And then, as you said, you had this idea, which you'd heard about from this Pivotal Labs company mm, and yes. how they put together software stacks that you could pull down and be ready to go from from day one. So there was the the profile, I forget the profile tool, I guess is what we called it in the cloud launcher. Yep. And both turned out to be really hard. Um, and there was the difficulty of that. Plus the fact that what people got most excited about was a laptop that worked. And so we didn't, there was, I remember there's one gentleman from France who kept asking every so often, checking and seeing how it was going. But other than that, there really weren't people clamoring for it. And so uh, the other thing, fortuitously, this thing Docker came around, and that was that sort of idea that we were talking about the cloud launcher. That made that easy. So that was solved with us uh, not having to do anything. And then when we actually stopped doing the, the, our own work on the cloud launcher or the profile tool, nobody said anything. Um, so that's the thing, again, you know, you have these ideas of you, what you think are going to really add value to the product and we're going to make developers life so easy. Um, and yeah, if we could have done it with, you know, in two weeks, we would have done it, but it, it, it I think one thing in general is there was such a pent up demand for this that people were, were very happy just to get a laptop that worked. And that's really what they wanted. In fact, another thing too, I don't know if you remember is we had a whole curated set of tools uh, and utilities that we put together on the mm. system. So we thought these would be the ones that people most want to use. People really didn't care about that. They were going to go and pull down what they wanted. So once again, something that we thought would add value turned out really not to, to be something that people cared that much about. Yeah. So that was, those are some learnings that sometimes um, 
the innovative part isn't the part that you think it is. Yeah, yeah. No, you have, you you get to uh, find out and evolve it, which which is always nice. Well, so where uh, where can people purchase one of these things, Barton? Where where would they um, go? So the I'll, we'll have to put it in the show notes. I think the the because we changed the the vanity URL. I think it's now um, dell.com slash Linux Systems, mm. uh, where we have the the whole lineup of them. I don't remember if there's a dash between. I think there's a dash between, but let's put that in the show notes so that, or you can put it over here. Doo, 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 or or so you could it, probably just search for like Dell Developer Laptop, right? Yeah. That, that yeah, I think that, works. I mean, to, to talk about something that's been a constant, something we've been getting better at, but it's been tough is its lifetime is being able to find the systems on the, on the mm. website. And I think that's been something we've heard a lot about. And it still happens every now and again, and but we're working out. We're very aware of it, and that's that's something. Obviously, it doesn't help our customers, and it doesn't help us. They want to buy something, we want to sell something, um, and so we're we've been working on it. And I think this page is a is a great step in that direction, where you go and you can see it all uh, laid out there, as opposed to to searching. But as you say, if you were to put at this point, if you were to put XPS thirteen developer edition in, odds are you'd get get to where you you want to be yeah all right well that that was a great uh you know 10 years is nice it's it's been going on forever if we look at it as the first 10 years that's right it is the first 10 years and and you know all you need is some free consulting you just need to make some tiktok videos and people will find it barton have you uh, I, I think so dancing with your daughter and, and talking about sputnik or, or yep. that kind of thing dancing with the laptop all right well uh that that was good stuff and uh like you know if you want to get the the uh, all those show notes you mentioned, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and uh, just search for uh, Barton. He's a, he's a, been a guest several times, and you can find a link to this episode or look around for it. It'll be there. And uh, with that, you want to say goodbye to everyone, Barton? All right, everybody. Take care. Have a, a great evening, morning, night, uh, Twilight Zone. Uh, mm. Thanks for listening, and check us out. And thank you, Cote. Sure. It's always fun to talk. All right, bye-bye. All right, take care.